Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Good morning. In the sunshine, this is the U105 phone and get some of your texts and emails very shortly. Traffic seems to be fine around the maze at present. Uh, No real problems coming through. The roads are getting a bit busier, but very well organised. And uh, let's hope that that is really the... The menu of the day, the smooth flow of traffic into the event. The event being blessed by the sun and it being packed to the cattle crush uh, with people who are thoroughly enjoying themselves. So um, if you're on your way, have yourself a wonderful, wonderful day. Now, there may be some good news coming the way of those who'd be in favour of a standalone Irish Language Act. International uh, language commissioners from six countries have supported the role of a particular commissioner for the Irish language being established in Northern Ireland. I want to speak to uh, Kieran McGillivine from Conor na uh, Kieran, good morning. Good morning, Frank. What do you mind? Yeah, thank you for joining us on the programme this morning. Um, the Irish Language Commissioner. This is like a, a police officer to ensure that an Irish Language Act would be properly enforced. Is that what an Irish Language Commissioner does? Or could you have an Irish Language Commissioner before you have an Irish Language Act? Well, I suppose, I mean, as, as the commissioners themselves, I've 11 commissioners um, from the International Association of Language Commissioners from right across the world who would deal with these issues, sometimes in very um, controversial circumstances, um, you know, have built up a wealth of experience. They would view their role as being central in the protection and preservation of a language that's spoken by a minority. So one of the most important values they would have is that that, that role needs to be independent, that, that they are there, if you like, to support, as I said, the protection and, and preservation of a language, that if individual, individuals or groups have complaints around a lack of service, um, that they can bring that to the Commissioner. And equally, if government bodies, public authorities or others would like advice or guidance around how they can do more to meet their obligations or how they can do more to fulfil the needs of, in this case, the Irish-speaking community. So we have an independent body there who could then advise them and guide them through that process. And that's how this operates generally mm-hmm. around the globe. And it certainly uh, is a major uh, contribution in terms of how languages are viewed in those countries that have strong independent language commissioners in place. Yeah, now an Irish language commissioner was a key feature in the proposal yeah. for an Irish language act. So I'm, ju- I'm just wondering, do you need the act before you employ the commissioner? Or would there be work for a commissioner to do in the absence of the act, which at this moment in time, doesn't look likely. 
Well, I suppose in, in one instance, a commissioner would form a central part of any legislation um, around an Irish language act. So within the proposals that Conor Gilligan put forward, um, we would we would view the language commissioner as being one of the four central pillars of, of any language legislation. So in one sense, you would view it as being instrumental or a central part of the legislation. So in that sense, the legislation would have to come first. However, legislation itself would be implemented and would be, if you like, put in place over a time frame. And certainly the commissioner's role in terms of the days and engaged in that process. So to give you one quick example, Frank, one of the things that we've recommended is the public authorities be graded, if you like, so those with uh, a higher amount of interface with the community and higher higher likelihood um, of, of engaging with Irish speakers would have more obligations than those public authorities that would have very little interface with the, with the community. There's no real point in putting uh, serious obligations on those that won't, don't really deal with the public on a day-to-day basis anyway. But it would be the role of the Commissioner, in our view, to grade those, um, to grade those public authorities. So, so certainly while they, they would need they would need the legislation first to, to bring forward the role of the Commissioner, the actual rollout of the legislation itself, the Commissioner will be central in designing and implementing a lot of that. Now, 11 commissioners from Canada, Spain, Wales, Ireland, Kosovo and Belgium, they've all signed the letter. Five of the signatories are from regions of Canada, while uh, both the the Basque and Catalonian language commissioners from Spain, they've put their name to this uh, letter as as well. I'm just wondering if we have a commissioner, or if we had a commissioner, would... Would it automatically mean, and I know you'd be he or she would be keeping a very watchful eye on the various departments, but would it mean that, like on a visit to Wales, I've only been to Wales a couple of times, but you do notice the the, the language much more so than you notice yeah. the Irish language in, in Northern Ireland? Would that be the would that be the first thing you would you would tend to get a, a very evident in your face signage and use of the language at a higher level than it is here? Well, of course, that, that, that's a central part of the language legislation in itself, and not so much the role of the commissioner. So the visibility of a language um, is, is a central part of that. You know, the idea that, that they would have a language act, but the people would no longer see or continue not to see or not to hear eyes within society just wouldn't really be tenable. The idea of a language act and legislation to protect language would be to increase normalization and tolerance of that language. And one of the key ways in which to do that was to increase visibility so that people actually see the language. So in Wales now, you know, and I know it wasn't meant in a pejorative way, but, you know, this idea of language being in your face, in Wales now it's completely normal. Nobody notices any difference. You go about, you see the signs. It is completely normalized. And even though that maybe previously would have been oppositional to the language, all of that opposition has, to a large extent, dissipated, and there would be a great support for the measures, even within those within Wales that don't speak the language themselves. You would be a great support for the language, and you can see that that's evidenced in the massive increase in uptake in terms of Welsh medium education, the huge uptake of adults and others that are learning the language on a daily basis. So we can see the real benefits of this, and I suppose from our perspective, we've always been keen during this debate, Frank, to internationalise the debate, because sometimes we can be mired in a very localised debate looking solely at our own circumstances. What this this letter shows us is that there's a body of international expertise out there who, not only from this this letter, but, you know, places that have have been emerging are still married in many many senses in their own conflicts, places like Kosovo, the language commissioner here. So in spite of everything, in spite of some of the difficulties that Kosovo Kosovo have had in terms of the conflict and stuff there, they've still recognised that the indigenous languages there need protected, and, and as part of that, they've appointed a language commissioner. And as I said, in terms of internationalising the debate, this day last year, we had the Council of Europe over, and the Council of Europe, um, through their, their committee of experts, again, 
to the day last year, recommended very strongly that we have an Irish Language Act. In March of this year, we had the Welsh Language Commissioner, Mary Hughes, over, who talked about the experiences of promoting Welsh within the councils in Wales. And again, she pointed to the game changer being the legislation that was introduced through the Welsh Language Act. And if we're really keen, because I know a lot of this debate, and none of us are naive to pretend otherwise, I know a lot of this debate over time has been viewed through the kind of controversial um, prism of, of party politics and, and Stormont and everything else. But, you know, if we're really keen about that, then the role of an independent, I'm really keen to avoid that, sorry, the role of an independent commission, removing that from, from that from that fact party political confrontational nature of the storm. The role of an independent commissioner is really central. That Comex also highlighted and one of their huge areas concerns was over over many years was hostile atmosphere that has been created around the language um, here because of, of some of the political arguments around it. We're keen to move beyond that. And again, a, an independent uh, language commissioner would be key to moving us beyond that type of Facts and, and controversial uh, debate around the language. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting the way you've picked me up on the in your face. It, it, the visibility of the language is a really good way to describe it. Much better way than than the term that I I did use. I, I was actually complimenting the the Welsh on yeah. on wh- when you go there, you you see you see their their language and I, I you know hear their language, see their language, and you know I, I certainly I do not see that as a negative in in in, in any country or in in any quarter. It, Gail, however, would, she says, Frank, to introduce the Irish language, which isn't a mother tongue, will cost money. I'm a victim of the troubles. I have a number of health issues, but I can't get help from the NHS. There isn't the money. Budgets have been blocked by Sinn Féin. I don't know uh, which MLA can help me and so on and so forth. I'm uh, feeling that I am being left out. And she goes on to give us a list of why she is at a disadvantage personally. But she says, and it's really the question from her is, why waste funds on employing a language commissioner is what this woman is asking. Well, it's just, I mean, there were a number of points that I would like to, to pick up on. First and foremost, the Irish language is a mother tongue for an increasing number of people. It's an indigenous language that's existed in this island for well over 3,000 years. It's one of the oldest spoken languages across Europe, and it's managed to, to survive in spite of everything that's been thrown at the language over many centuries. So I think we have something very valuable here. I think that when you have something very valuable, particularly of, of, of cultural value, um, that it's important that states take proactive measures to uh, support the survival and preservation of those treasures of, of which the Irish language is one. But this idea that somehow that this Irish language versus versus rights for people within the health service and stuff is, is a misnomer. I mean, the health service is under sustained attack for many years. It's under sustained attack because of a programme of austerity brought in by a Conservative government in central London who have no idea around the needs or wishes of an Irish language community. And indeed, the commitment that was made to an Irish language act in 2006 was made in try in 2006, well before the economic crisis. Well, when when, we, when the times were plenty, as we were told during that period, and in the time of boom and stuff. So it's about political will, and that um, you know any question of finances. The proposals that we put forward are very very uh, frugal. They're, they've been they've been costed. We've been we've been very sincere in our efforts to ensure that there is value for money there. But again, I just want to make this key point here. Irish language speakers are taxpayers, and we have been paying for our own exclusion for many years. We have been no, afforded no legal protection from the state. We have been supported, uh, afforded no sustained support in terms of strategic development of the Irish language over many years. So that has to really end. If we're sincere about building a new shared future in which there is respect for everyone on, on a basis of rights, then the Irish language must surely form a central part of that. 
Kieran, uh, thank you for talking to us this morning. I'm just looking at another line from Gail, which is depressing in many ways, and it's just a, as I say, it's pretty, pretty detailed text come email that she sent to me, and. This sums up part of the problem, part of the problem with people's attitude to the Irish language. And if you're starting from where Gail is starting from, you're going to have a very difficult journey to get to an acceptance of the Irish language. First of all, the answer quite clearly is that Irish is the mother tongue of this piece of land that we all share, uh, which Gail doesn't seem to recognise. She thinks English is the mother tongue of the, the, the piece of land, but that the, the fact is Irish is the original language and English came in later. Um, but she, she, says, she says this, and this, this, is, this is depressing in many ways, and I, I just wonder how, Kieran, we get people to, to, to maybe to accept that the Irish language is not in any way a threat to them, where she tries to describe to me a Sinn Féin MLA who was a minister. And she's obviously making reference to Marcin O'Mullier. And she says, I can't explain who I'm talking about because of the daft spelling. It's sad that people have that sort of attitude, isn't it? It is. It is. It's incredibly sad, Frank. And, and I suppose when you see, I mean, um, one of the most beneficial uh, parts. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. My job would be to travel around Irish speaking communities um, right across this city. Um, and uh, on a daily basis, and you can see the transformational impact that, that the language is having on communities. Some, some of our most depraved communities, where people are embracing the language and they're seeing it um, as something that, that brings real value to their lives. And indeed, that's happening as much now in East Belfast as it's happening in West Belfast, and that's something that needs to be celebrated by all. But I think, without a doubt, that, that, that our political system here and politicians need to bear um, some responsibility in relation to that when we have had sustained attacks and ridicule of our community. I mean, without revisiting them all, but you only have to go back only a couple of years ago um, when, when Gregory Campbell and others were making their curry my yogurt statements and stuff. That feeds into this type of paranoia. That enables this type of hostile attitude. And I suppose that creates that fear that people like Gail, who probably ordinarily wouldn't, wouldn't have those type of views on other issues, but somehow find it okay to ridicule a language and to marginalise a language and to exclude language speakers from, from society. And, and, and again, that needs to be challenged, but it needs to be challenged at the very top. It needs to be challenged at the very top of our political system here. And I suppose that if the Language Act can do anything, it can help remove that power from, from the likes of Gregory Campbell and stuff, place it on a neutral feud, and not all of those who will want to engage with a language engage with it on their own terms. And let me stress this point that if a language act is brought in tomorrow, the people like Gail and others who, who maybe have no interest at all in the language, if they don't want to engage with the language, they will notice no difference whatsoever in their day-to-day -day lives. The language act will impact okay. first and foremost on those who want to use and speak the language. 
Okay, uh, Kieran, Kieran, uh, thank you uh, very much indeed uh, for your contribution. Conversation very much about the possibility of a language commissioner uh, being installed in Northern Ireland. Certainly, language commissioners from other parts of the world uh, calling for it. Uh, Kieran McGillivine from Conra Nagelaga. Uh, thank you. Uh, this is the U105 phone in. Good morning. Good morning. This is the U105 phone in. Florence is Bally Walter. She, she says Sinn Fein has done damage to the Irish language by making it an issue for not going back to Stormont. Uh, Florence goes on to say, I'm frequently in the south and I've never heard anyone uh, speak it, says Florence. Um, what else has been said here? The problem with the Irish language is it is now a political issue. If it hadn't been made such a political issue, no one would have rejected it. Uh, Alistair is a point he wants to make. Good morning, Alistair. Good morning, Frank. Firstly, I'd just like to state how brilliant the programme is. I listen to you every day, and I think the whole UU105 setup is absolutely brilliant, and your show in particular. Thank and you. The point Thank I was making to you is listening to you talking to the gentleman there talking about the Irish Language Act, and he was saying that if we get a commissioner appointed, that the commissioner should prioritise things. I think the issue of prioritising things is very important. I think our own politicians need to prioritise things. We have problems with the education system. We have problems with health. We have problems with policing. And I think before we even look at Irish language as a, an act, we need to actually prioritise everything else and work down through the system. And to me, I have no objections against people wanting to speak Irish. That's entirely up to them, more power to them. But I think everything needs to be prioritised. And as far as I'm concerned, and I think as far as a lot of other people are concerned that live in uh, Northern Ireland, an Irish Language Act would go very low down on the priorities thing. And the reason why I'm saying that is, I travel around the country on a daily basis, Frank, installing medical equipment. And a lot of the places I go into, the English signage has actually been taken down, and all that there is is Irish signage. And it is extremely hard sometimes trying to find people's houses. And when you go into the houses, what you hear from the people is, they're totally stunned with the whole thing because they can't get post delivered. They can't get medical supplies delivered because nobody can find where they live because they can't speak the Irish language either and they don't understand why all these things are being put up and the English ones taken down. Would it be fair to say, Alistair, that you're not in favour of the Irish language per se, even though you say people are entitled to speak it? Of course they're entitled to speak it, mm. but the Irish Language I'm, Act I'm, is much I'm, more, but, but Alistair, this is important, the Irish Language Act is much more than about people being allowed to speak the language. It's about rights being enshrined in law. Yeah, but if those rights are being enshrined in law, what's that going to cost and what impact is going to have on other things that to me are more important? If people want to speak Irish, that's up to them. I have no objections to it. No, I would love to have the time to actually learn it myself, but I think I'm a wee bit all along in the truth to be able to pick it up because, no... Well, as you get older, your brain loses its power to uh, basically suck information in. And I think I'd be far too old to try and get my head around it to try and speak it. I, I actually know, think that if I could, know the Irish Language Act, it would be great to be able to speak the native tongue of your own, of your own uh, Ireland, of your own land, of the island here. But uh, I think to put the importance that everybody's trying to put on it, I think, is losing the picture of what needs to be done at the present minute in time. And, no, even your programme this morning talking about the historical abuse things, no, I would think that that would rate higher on the priorities list than an Irish Language Act and getting those sorts of things sorted out first before we even look at Irish language as, as an actual act to, to enshrine in law. 
And you, you don't feel that people who want to live the Irish language life, who want to be Irish language speaking citizens, who want to be going through a process of political development as an English speaker can, whether it be through a court system or political representation system or a health system, that they shouldn't be allowed to do it as Irish-speaking Irish citizens in a part of Ireland. There's no reason why they shouldn't be allowed to do that, Frank. But do you need an act for them to be able to do that? Well, it's not enshrined in law. It's not. In, they, they they can do it through English. They can they can, they can they can do it. They can do it. They can do it legally by being English speakers, but they want to do it by being Irish speakers. Well, you you mentioned there are the courts. If you have somebody in this land who has to go to court because something has gone wrong, if the language is not available to them, a translator will be made available. They don't need it enshrined in law to be able to speak their their native tongue. That will all be provided for them at the present minute in time. Yes, Why do we need to put such an emphasis on getting this enshrined in law when there's more important things going on in this world at the minute that need address yeah, but wh- before that is even considered? But wh- why should the first, why should the, de- the default setting be to get a translator for someone who's speaking their native tongue? But the same thing, Frank, why should it be a big emphasis on it being enshrined in law. Even if we look at mental health, look at the amount of money that is required to get the mental health system running properly and the amount of problems the police are having dealing with people with mental health issues because they're not being dealt with that source within the health service. No, we're losing, uh, we're losing our priorities here totally. Okay, uh, Alistair, uh, thank you. 028 90 treble 105 It's interesting uh, little text here uh, that came in uh, yesterday. It said, I'm going on holiday next week. I was hoping to vote by proxy in the European elections, but I only got my polling card a few days ago uh, after the deadline for proxy votes to be registered. I'm pretty disappointed now that I can't vote. This is a bit of a talking point. I want to speak to the Chief Electoral Officer, Virginia McVeigh. Uh, Virginia, good morning. Good morning, Frank. It's well and truly past the date for applying for a postal vote. That was way back on the the 2nd of May, am I right? Yes, the application forms were available from us on the website from the 12th of April. Notice of election was the 15th of April. But because we were running the local council elections, the earliest those poll cards could go out meant that the date that on was on them. For those people who were seeking a reminder, uh, the, the date had passed. And we have ended up with what looks like will be a reduction of 8,000 overall in relation to use of the absent vote. So That's of concern to me, and I've raised it with the Electoral Commission. One of the consequences, I think, of calling an election during an election, which is unprecedented. Yeah, so you, you, you got snowed under, so to speak. You had the council elections, then the announcement came out of the blue for the European elections. The process is put in place to set up the European elections, but unfortunately, the important date of the 2nd of May for applying for a postal vote, that got lost within the 
publicity, the conversation, maybe just the the, the routine of going from uh, one place to another as far as citizens are concerned. But it's, it's most annoying for those some 8,000 people who won't now be able to vote unless they rearrange their, 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 their roster, so to speak, or their plans. Yes, and um, I'm concerned about it and have requested a meeting with the Electoral Commission to move them through the practical difficulties that are created by the late notice and calling an election within an election because 8,000 people will never be able to tell would all of those people have applied for an absent vote but we can certainly tell by uh, some of the responses into the media and some of the contact that's been made here that some people waited for that poll card and we do print the information on that generally to act as a reminder. It was, as I say, available from the 12th of April, but we always try to do as much as we can, including all of the briefings to press and others from the 26th of April. But the priority message for everybody was obviously in relation to the local council elections. And it does become very confusing if you're trying to give two sets of timelines to the public. That's why normally the government will call a combined election so that there is one timeline and we can see now the confusion that can result. Do you think maybe the advertising wasn't putting the emphasis in the right place? You did a lot of advertising saying to be registered to vote, you need to do A, B and C. You've got so much time to be registered to vote. There wasn't anything in that advertising, correct me if I'm wrong, that said if you want a postal vote, you have to do D, E or F. Um, I don't think that there was, but the statutory duty and the organisation who's responsible for that advertising is the Electoral Commission. Um, that can be a bit confusing for people too. It's not the responsibility of this office. Although I do the media briefings and try to put information out there on website and whatnot, that responsibility for public awareness rests with them. And they faced, uh, I would presume, the same difficulties that there was messaging in relation to the local councils and they were trying not to confuse. Okay, just in a word or in a few words, remind us when is the European election? Uh, polling day is the 23rd of May and we will then be uh, counting on the Friday, stopping over the weekend and counting again on Monday the 27th. I encourage everybody okay. to go out to vote and if you can go uh, please do. Okay, uh, that is if you can go Please do, but if you're expecting to use a postal vote and you hadn't applied for it, well, you've... Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Missed out. 